Welcome, data people. We are Zuma. My name is Matt, and this is the Data for Good podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Zuma. Zuma is a dedicated recruitment company focusing on data positions across Berlin. The Data for Good podcast is for the world of data science, analytics, and engineering, giving you a platform to hear the thoughts and opinions of data leaders from Berlin and beyond. Today, we are joined by Ibrahim Al Mufti, engineering leadership at Trade Republic. Ibrahim, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for getting my name right exactly on the first time. <laughs> I've uh, put a little bit of practice into that one. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about a couple of things, a few things that are close to you. If you want to give us a little bit of a background into uh, your profile and how you got to, to where you are. Sounds good. Thanks, Matt, for the intro. Uh, so I've, I'm actually originally from Egypt. Um, around a bit over five years ago, I came to Berlin. My background has nothing to do with data or software engineering. So I originally studied finance, a bit of mathematics. Um, I worked in very business-related jobs like investment banking, consulting, government consulting at some point. So I guess my background has nothing to do with what I'm doing right now. Um, after coming to Berlin, I was working in a tech company. I was very interested in software engineering. Uh, I taught myself some programming. I started working in business intelligence originally as a data engineer. Uh, one thing led to the other, and I had some experience in that. Um, I grew further along that track. And around a bit over three years ago, um, I joined Trade Republic. Uh, I joined as actually a data engineer. I was the first hire for the data team as an engineer. At the time, we were a bit smaller as an organization. Yeah. Uh, and I had to build a lot of stuff from scratch because I was the first data engineer, and this is how I found myself into infrastructure. Um, I originally was working in a team called Data Infrastructure, so I had to work a lot with things like streaming, um, data lake, data warehouse, access management, machine learning lately. So I had the full spectrum, let's say, of um, data originally. And at some mm -hmm. point, I made an interesting switch uh, or an expansion, depends how you see it, uh, the application platform or the application world. Uh, what does that mean? I'm currently leading a team called Application Platform. Uh, we do three main things. Uh, we enable teams um, in Trade Republic uh, to basically store data, um, meaning databases, caching layers, anything that has to do with storing data. Yeah. Uh, we also take care of messaging. Messaging meaning how one service could communicate to another service, to so tools like uh, RabbitMQ or Kafka or any of those tools out there in the market that enable services to communicate together, uh, we provide them in the platform. Yeah. And lastly, we provide compute, uh, which is mainly Kubernetes, a uh, bunch of servers here and there, but mostly Kubernetes. And yeah, we enable those three main things. And yeah, that's my life story in a nutshell, I would say. And what a, what a three years it's been for Trade Republic and you've been on that journey from almost <laughs> the start. How much value do you think you got from your earlier experiences away from data and engineering and bringing that to your recent success? I mean, a lot, to be honest. Um, I think if you come from one field to an, another field, you always bring something else. Uh, you don't have to be great at it, but you always bring something else. And I think of it maybe a stage earlier than that, like coming from business to engineering. I feel like it helped me a lot. Um, bringing business ideas or understanding business problems or value added, and then going to data um, and moving to a more technical or let's say more platform setup. 
Um, you always need data on your day-to-day. -day. If you're looking at logs, if you're looking at metrics, if you're trying to understand um, how you could have a better user experience, you always need data at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I must say, my experience at data infrastructure and application platform is not necessarily radically different in terms of the objective, but I think the biggest difference is the customers you're serving. Um, part of data infrastructure, your main customer is always going to be data scientists, analytics engineers, backend engineers, especially when you start having data products and bringing machine learning to production. Mm -hmm. um, but working in an application platform, your core customer is backend engineers or engineers in general, uh, yeah. full stack backend frontend. Uh, I think that's the core customer you're trying to serve, including data products, including data people as well. So I guess the customer itself is a big change. Um, and a lot of the experience that obviously developed in the data world carried over, like understanding things from the data side, having KPIs, looking at numbers, understanding logging, metrics, availability, all of that things uh, mm -hmm. carry over for sure. Now, most people that we speak with move from engineering into data. You've kind of gone the other way, um, which is not as common, but you're very, very passionate about this and bringing some of that culture and um, lessons that you learned from the data side and, and bringing that over to the engineering. To, to, to begin with, what would you, how would you summarize a data culture? Um, it's hard to say how we would summarize it because it really differs at each stage of maturity in every company. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, when you start in a company, let's say a company that's a small startup, um, and let's say this company does not have so many employees, maybe zero to 50 uh, yeah. in that range, um, you don't really necessarily need a data team. You don't, in the beginning, maybe you need your first, you're going to hire your first data scientist, you're going to hire your first analyst, depending on what you need. In the beginning, most of your engineers will be doing some data work, maybe setting up for your first data warehouse. But mm -hmm. you don't really need a dedicated data team. You maybe not even need to talk about data culture. You're still trying to find product market fit. You're still trying to do, of course, data is always important, but data is not the priority when you're starting something. Just a different part. You most important thing is collecting data, having yeah. very basic metrics on how you're doing, measuring direction, understanding the problem from that side. The more you scale and grow, and the more you hit different levels of maturity, the word data culture become different, or it has a different meaning, or it does materialize into something. Yeah. Uh, and that was my experience, for example. When I joined Trade Republic, we were, I don't know, 50 people, 40 people, and we scaled a lot more number of, and people be, be beyond that number, and the experience completely changed. So mm -hmm. instead of having um, a central data team that was responsible of doing all the data work of the organization, now you have a lot more people hungry for data. You have product managers, you have data scientists, you have backend engineers, you have engineering managers, uh, you have mm -hmm. people trying to take decisions in leadership um, that require data. And that's where data culture comes in. Mm -hmm. So do you need to be aware of, of data as a, as a smaller company? Is it? Do you really not need to consider it? Do you just need to be driven about being successful first and then worry about the analytics a little bit later how would you advise yes it depends on the line of business you're in i think in all cases you always need data uh, i think the main difference that changes over time is how you provide data 
in the beginning is more like a central team or has providing data for people, maybe one person that's doing queries, or maybe you don't even need to hire a team in the beginning. Uh, you are doing data yourself as a product manager, as an engineer, or as an engineering manager. And as you evolve over time, you want to decentralize that model, meaning creating something more self-service. Uh, so for example, enabling building systems that answer questions rather than people that answer questions. This scales with a large example, a large number of people. And to give you an example, um, let's say in the beginning, you're always going to have people write, build dashboards. But what you want over the future is that you want to build a data model that's flexible enough that people could write some SQL queries, maybe if they're advanced and answer their own questions or use a dashboard that already have been built in a way that is <clears throat> customizable or flexible enough that they could extract the own information they need. Also, your problems become more complicated. For example, in the beginning, you don't need to worry about the real time. Most of the time, you don't really... I mean, again, it always depends on the line of business. If you're doing something yeah. that requires um, real-time analytics, you obviously need real-time analytics from day zero. Uh, but most of the time, your use cases are pretty simple. You just want to track some users, track some basic analytics, understand how many uh, pieces of that product you've sold, what's your revenue. You want to calculate very basic metrics that focus on direction and adoption mm -hmm. uh, rather than optimizing those metrics. And as you grow and grow further to achieve success, as per your question, you need to start to scale that analytics to a larger number of people. So you start having more complex problems. Now you want to bring machine learning. Now you want to have streaming or real time. Uh, so as you grow, your problems become more complicated. And also to maybe zoom in on your question on how you define a data culture or what does that mean for us? Um, <clears throat> data culture meaning that people in general are capable of taking decisions uh, in their day-to-day -day using data. And that's having a data culture mean that this is not limited to data scientists or analytics engineers. This also extends uh, to non-data people. How can non-data people take decisions using data despite not being a data scientist? And to be able to achieve that, you need to educate people, you need to build systems, uh, you need to create flexible infrastructure, you need to do a lot of things. I don't know if that answers your question, but let me know. I'm happy to dive no, in. <laughs> absolutely. I'm, I'm going to... So... We've got to a size of a company of 40, 50 people, and that's when you joined Trade Republic. We've had pre-data culture, so everyone was just focused on driving the business value and finding the, the market fit, and they've done that. And then now there's this hiring phase. You're bringing in people, and then you're merging those with the people who were already in the team, and you're bringing these two groups of people together to drive a data-driven company. What did you learn through that process? What would you maybe do different? Talk us about that journey. Yes. <clears throat> um, so let me let me tell you what the when I first joined Trade Republic, I think the one of the early projects that I had to work on was building a data warehouse. We had a very simple setup. I think remember used a tool called Metabase which I want to say, I love this tool. It's very simple to use. It's <clears throat> easy to deploy. It looks very colorful, has really nice colors as well. And it worked well for us. We didn't have any problems. Uh, we had a PostgreSQL database that was deployed as a single monolithic server uh, that was a bit hard to maintain, but we also did not have any problems with our queries. We didn't have so much data. Nothing was a problem. But now as we started to hire plenty of data scientists, and, the two-digit numbers of data scientists and keep growing and growing and growing, uh, there was a much bigger need for having a more scalable system. And one of the early 
projects I worked on was having a data warehouse. And the problem, if you think about it, is not really complicated. Um, it's just very fundamental and very abstract. Uh, it's very hard to understand. Like you, you want the data warehouse, you need to first understand what kind of technology fits that use case. Your data users are familiar with that technology. So it's not the complexity of setting up a data warehouse because setting up a data warehouse is not actually that hard but rather the complexity and the ambiguity of the problem. So you have to mm -hmm. talk to people, you have to talk to many stakeholders, you have to understand the business requirement. Uh, so the skill set that you need in the beginning of that stage of maturity is not to be technically sophisticated, but rather to be able to be very cross-functional, be able to talk to so many people. And of course, that was one of the key learnings on how to grow to understand different technologies. Okay, now we have a data warehouse. How could we integrate to the backend? How could we move the data from there? Okay, now we need to set up our first uh, pipeline. How do we trigger the pipeline? Now we need a tool to trigger that pipeline. Okay, which tool fits our, our use case? Um, now, how do we handle recovery from that tool? Or how do we copy our data? Do we need real time? You need to answer all those very simple uh, questions in the beginning. Um, now you asked me also, what would I do differently? Um, I think it's, I always find this question very hard because I don't think I would have done necessarily anything differently. I think anyone starting in the field always has to make mistakes. And part of this growth journey is to learn from those mistakes and iterate fast. So I think the most important thing that I would say people should focus on is not to avoid making mistakes, but rather have a setup where they can recover fast from making those mistakes. And it's okay to make mistakes. The most important thing is to recover fast and be agile that those mistakes could be reversible and you could navigate them faster. Better to be strong than to be safe. So, um, and you've grown within the company, uh, data to platform engineering. What was the kind of trigger point for you to start going away from data and more into engineering? Yes. Um, as I mentioned, I think they're very transferable in sort of way, but I was always interested in um, more frontline things. Like the way I could describe is that the difference between working in data, I mean, it depends on the stage of maturity, but I think working on the application platform is a very frontline thing, meaning that you keep the lights on for the applications for millions of users. Um, if the application goes down, or if the application um, has degraded performance, you're immediately on the front line. And I think this was one of the exciting things why I wanted to be closer to that field because I like being closer to the action, let's say in that regard. It's interestingly as well that in data, the more you have data products and the more you have data products uh, that power up um, in your production application, you also get closer to the front line. But I think it's typical in engineering environments that data tends to catch up later, the more data products you have, and the more, let's say, presence in production services you have. Yeah. Uh, but I think this is the biggest striking difference uh, between those two things. And I really wanted to be closer to that, uh, closer to the action, let's say. Was there a point in time that you were given an opportunity or did you, did you chase that? I'm thinking if someone is in a similar, feeling similar things to what you were feeling, that I want to be closer to the action. Yes. Did you chase it or did it happen? Mm -hmm. I think you always need a bit of both. <laughs> you always need Definitely, a bit of both. Yeah. Um, so first of all, you need to know or you need to have an idea where you want to try something or you want to go for it. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, for me, it was more like a difficult decision because at this point in time, 
um, I did not know so much about application platform comparison to what I know about data infrastructure. It was really outside of my comfort zone, let's say. Yeah. Uh, this was something exciting for me. I wanted to get on something more, um, like I mentioned, frontline, more involves more complex system or a bit more mature systems. Um, and this is why I went in that direction. So back to your question, was there a trigger for me to have this uh, direction? I mean, it's a bit of both. I think I had a discussion with my manager and there was this opportunity uh, to be part of that team or to be leading that team. Um, and I knew what I wanted to do at this point in time. I asked some questions. It was very clear to me that this is what I would like to do. Mm -hmm. So yeah, my, my solid answer to your question is a bit of both. Yeah, and you haven't looked back since. Not really, uh, but also something to take into consideration is that you never stop working with data. At the end of the day, um, we always provide technologies that data are consumers of. So you never mm -hmm. stop working with data really. I think, like I mentioned, the main change is the customer, the customer changes. Uh, but I don't look back. I still think I'm working part of data. I never really, I don't look at it that I completely stopped. I'm just yeah. working from a different angle. And some of the tools uh, that we provide in the team are also still um, very much servicing data scientists, machine learning engineers, and things like that. So what have you brought with you? What best practices, experiences that you've learned from? What have you brought across with you from data focused to engineering? Yes. Um, I think one of the most interesting things that um, let's say could be different or from my experience was very different between the engineering classical setup and the data setup um, is that when I joined the team in the beginning, um, in data, there used to be a lot of incidents. Like we had that big, I mean, not in the beginning, early on, right? Because I remember I told you I was just building a data house. So at this point in time, no one cares if data was not delivered. But as we grew more and more, as we started having data products in production, as we started having dashboards um, that are filled with data that are really taking decisions based on, I think our problems became much more critical. So for example, when a data pipeline fails, definitely became much more critical than when I joined. And I remember we had um, a couple of, maybe a month or two of complete hell. That's how I would describe it. Like waking up in the middle of the night, staying up late, troubleshooting problems with data pipelines fail, like the classic uh, yeah. SRE slash data engineer problem. Like waking up in the middle of the night, your streaming pipeline is broken. There's no data tomorrow for stakeholders. Your batch pipeline is also broken and you need to fix it. Um, and I think one of the main experiences we had at the time is that when we started in the beginning, we used to set up a lot of services that we built mm -hmm. for our own. And we, it was always like that. You build a project, you jump to another project, you jump to another project. You never have the chance um, to, to, to fill in the holes that you've missed in the beginning when you build that project. Um, and I think it was very crucial at this point in time to take a few steps back and we went back to one of our core projects. So I think I remember at this time we had a Kubernetes cluster and we used a tool called Airflow at this time. We deployed Airflow on our Kubernetes cluster, which in my opinion was doing a lot more than like Kubernetes offered a lot more than what we wanted at this time. Mm -hmm. We took Airflow, we decided we're going to take it off Kubernetes and we're going to use a managed version on the cloud. And I think that's one of the best decisions we've taken. We've, take, we've saved a lot of costs. Uh, we've been able to reduce the number of incidents drastically. And that bought us more time to be able to focus on other projects and actually reduce incidents in other projects as well. 
So I think going back to your question in terms of like what kind of thing I brought from data to the application world is that I think it's very important to be able to say no to things and to be able to um, focus on what matters as an engineering manager or as an engineer or as a product manager, the ability to say no. And I don't think this is unique to a data team or unique necessarily to my experience of a data team, but rather the ability to say no and the ability to say yes to the things that matter and to optimize for things that will save a lot of your time and mm -hmm. a lot of your costs as well. Um, another thing that I think is very interesting in the data world um, is that your customers are very different, like we spoke in the beginning. Yeah. And I think the main difference between, for example, dealing with engineers or data scientists is that engineers are very much more technical in some regards or very much easier to onboard on technical projects. Mm -hmm. But data scientists are much more likely to ask you business questions or very much likely to dive deeper into what problem do you solve or what kind of yeah. value does it bring or kind of measuring the outcome. And I think bringing um, the perspective of measuring things that you build, which again, I don't think is unique to the data world, but a lot of experience that you learn from dealing with data scientists, bringing that experience to engineers and trying to treat your engineers as a platform, as a product, that you're an internal company, yeah. uh, really helps building that long-term vision. So you've bridged that gap as an individual and you're helping to see both sides of the, the penny, I guess. How do we further try and bridge that gap between data and engineering moving forward? Yes, uh, that's a great question. <clears throat> so I think um, the way to bridge the gap is you need a culture shift or you need a mm -hmm. culture. And the way I like to think of it is not so different between the DevOps movement, which I think happened yeah. a couple of years ago. Um, so to give some context, used to be devs, which are people that write code, very much focused on the application. There used to be operations, people mm -hmm. that take this code, put it in production and operate it for people. And there used to be this segregation or the separation between those two elements or two entities uh, of, 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 or functions of people. And that created a lot of back and forth. This mm -hmm. model works great when you're a smaller company, but once you scale that model to a mega enterprise or a large uh, scale-up, let's say, company, it stops working because you start having bottlenecks. Your operation team becomes very defensive. They're like, okay, they, their ultimate goal is to push less code to production because th that means that they have less things to fix. Yeah. Um, and that's what you don't want, right? What you really want is you want to ship to production. You want to be very agile. Uh, you want to ship things as often as you can. Uh, so the same movement did not happen in data yet, or it, maybe it is happening now in data. Uh, you find Slowly. data scientists, correct. You find data scientists working a bit separately from data engineers, and in many ways, data scientists focus on building the models. Data engineers are focused on productionizing that model. And I think the problem has it. it I wouldn't say it's always a problem because sometimes it makes sense in a smaller mm -hmm. company or in a, a early stage, let's say, company. But now you want to scale the company, and the only way you could scale the, the data resources is to hire more data scientists because that's the only way. You could scale the company, or you also have to. You need to hire more data engineers, proportionally, yeah. data scientists, at least sublinearly, if you're lucky. Uh, so to create a data culture, it's a culture shift, and it's not. It doesn't only happen technically. It also happens managerially. You need to change the culture of management. You need to change the perception of data scientists. You need to change the perception of data engineers. 
a lot of people approach this problem with different ways, like, I don't know, data mesh, or they have a lot of industry standards for doing this problem. Yeah. But I think the core benefit or the core concept here still holds. What you really want to do is you want to make sure you create awareness of data. The first step that you need to create is awareness. You want to make sure that people understand what data means, how to find data, how to access data, how to collect data. Um, and it's important to embed this culture of data inside the engineering teams, meaning a lot of times engineering systems produce results, or let's say you have a service that's very much focused on uh, calculating revenue. Mm -hmm. And it's very important that you as an engineering manager or an engineer or a product manager to understand the success of your coding or the success of your engineering to understand how well your product does. Um, again, if you're a team just doing trading, it would be very interesting to optimize your systems according to how well uh, your revenues from trading are. So it's very interesting that engineering teams could embed or integrate um, the revenue calculation process, or I don't know, calculating the revenue coming from trading into their yeah. system. And to be able to create that, you need the data culture. Data culture means a lot of things. Teams, for example, need to be able to do tracking. If they track users or if they track uh, the behavior of users, they, they could be ever they could be able to offer them a better service because they understand mm -hmm. the customer journey. They could understand um, how to retain customers, how to keep them longer, how to inspire customers to use the product, how to build a better product. Uh, so data culture is not always, let's say, happening on the battlefield of like, yeah, building the best data warehouse or the best streaming technology. A lot of it are battles won outside of that field by changing the culture, making engineers feel like they own the, uh, the, the value that they're getting out of data or the numbers that they're getting out of data. So it sounds like educating the, the technical people about the real world, the business value, and also vice versa, the business-focused people. Correct. Becoming more technical. Who, who's responsible for this? I think you need to have someone responsible. It doesn't matter who. I mean, in many cases, you could have this someone from data. In many cases, you'd have someone from engineering. But what I can tell you is that you need a single owner that's very clear who's going to be driving this. And you need a group of people that have buy into this vision. So you need different groups of people and you can definitely not ignore leadership. You need to get leadership part of this. A lot of people I see doing this mistake of trying to fix a local problem, but not a global problem. Trying to change a culture locally, but not globally. You need to have buy-in from leadership. You need to create the culture of uh, self-service analytics. You need to, to give, to explain to engineers and show them the value um, that um, having access to data actually improves the process that they have in engineering, improves the decision-making they have, and it gives them opportunities to improve the, the products that they build. Mm. Um, so you need a single owner, you need a group of different people from different um, parts of the organization, depending on how mature you are. Um, you have different ways of doing this. Some people, again, go for more of a data mesh approach. Yeah. Some people go for more of an approach that's like um, self-service approach, which each team has to do it without necessarily embedding data engineers. There are different ways of doing this. And I can tell you, it doesn't matter how you do it, but rather that the end destination is the same. What's been the resistance? It's, we've known about DevOps for, for so long. I mean, looking back now, data ops was such an obvious strategy. Why is it so late to the party? <laughs> I mean, DevOps is also late to the party sometimes. 
because it really works well on paper, but then execution is really hard to do. Yeah. I don't think there's necessarily resistance, meaning intentionally blocking resistance. I think there are different expectations of those roles in the market that have been engraved for a while, that a data engineer does that or a data scientist does that, an engineer does that. So I think there's a bit of a culture shift or changing how people think or are aware of this uh, scenario. And I think this kind of resistance um, is just that people are expected to be acting in a certain way or expecting uh, some roles to be doing specific functions. The second part of resistance is that sometimes the systems are built in a way, and I think this is the most complex part, in a way that does not factor that into account. To give you an example, um, the way you build your systems or the way you build your interfaces changes a lot how people use them. So for example, if you're creating a data warehouse and the only way to create a table is that you have to go and ask someone from the platform or a data engineer to create a table, then no matter what you do, no matter how much you change the culture, you're still going to be able, you have to go ask the data engineer to create it for you. Um, and sometimes in the beginning it's much easier, right? Because, okay, we're a small team. Yeah. You just ask me, create a ticket. I don't know, whatever you do, it's super simple. Now, as you grow more and more of an organization, that data engineer you used to ask becomes a bottleneck because if that engineer is on vacation, you don't have anyone to ask. You say, okay, I'm going to hire a few other data engineers. They become slowly a bottleneck and so on and so forth. Um, so you need to architect your systems in a way to decouple or couple maybe, it depends how you see it, the infrastructure code uh, with the application code. And uh, for example, in the case of data science, sometimes you want to make sure that uh, to enable for example, the data scientists to manage their own infrastructure or to manage their own resources in a way mm -hmm. that's easy and simple to manage. And this is where the platform comes in. So you need to build products that are abstracted, that are simple to use at the same time that reduces your dependency or that uses the dependency on you, sorry, as a data engineer or as an SRE or as a platform engineer in general, mm -hmm. to enable people to fly and do their things um, completely independently, completely decentralized, uh, with minimal requirement to depend on you or on a certain platform team. So just to recap my answer, I think the first part is like, yeah, things have been working that way for a while and people got used to it. The second thing is that you need to architect your systems and design them in a way um, that people don't have this central dependency on things. And third, you have to constantly give the give examples and provide examples. Uh, it's not that it's a journey. It's not something that you're going to fix by giving an amazing talk or one presentation that will inspire everyone. You have to make sure over and over and over again to have engineering teams produce metrics, engineering teams uh, to look at the tables in the data warehouse, engineering teams to run queries, engineering teams to build their own dashboards. Uh, and over time, the change happens. It's very hard to see in a single point of time. It takes a long time to make this transformation. Uh, but you have to keep pushing for it. And this is why it goes back in the beginning. It, you need to have a central owner. This owner could be a team, most of the cases, but you mm -hmm. need to have a single force that's driving this change and constantly providing those examples. It's easy on paper, much tougher in, in practice, like, like you've mentioned. Data ops, ML ops, model ops, these are all... Uh, evidence to support what you're saying that bringing these together, reducing the bottlenecks, um, educating people about other areas of the business is going to be critical moving forward. 
for a bit of fun and we can maybe call ourselves out in a year's time. Where do you see it going over the next 12 months? Things are evolving rapidly. Um, there's a new tool, a new process. <laughs> uh, you mean in the data world? Yeah, in the data world. I think it's we're in a very interesting time now because, um, you know, with the modern data stack that has been growing a lot over the past maybe a couple of years or maybe especially yeah. last year, things have been very fragmented, right? Like you have one thing that is doing... Uh, running your models, one thing is doing observability, and then you have a lot of plugins, a lot of add-ons, the rise of tools like dbt, yeah. uh, rise of databases that are simpler to use, like, I don't know, Snowflake, BigQuery, Redshift, all of those changes have been happening in the market. We've seen a lot of opportunities from open source or commercialized open source, lots of opportunities of fragmented products. Um, I expectation, I don't know over the if it's going to be over the next 12 months, but I expect some consolidation. So there will be some products that provide end-to-end -end experience uh, from this data tools. And I really expect a lot of that change to be coming from the cloud providers. Like now we have big players in the cloud, like AWS, yeah. Google, like Microsoft. Um, and there's sometimes there's you find those tools like either partnering with the cloud providers or the cloud providers providing you options themselves. But mm -hmm. I expect to see more consolidation and more tools providing you uh, multiple things like a data warehouse, ability to run pipelines, ability to have observability on the pipelines, yeah. ability to run notebooks, but also ability to have a data warehouse. I think the technologies are also evolving in that direction. So you could find uh, databases that used to be strictly relational. Now we're also supporting documents, uh, document databases or NoSQL databases, uh, supporting also uh, some I don't know, features that are mostly yeah. common relational database, I guess. Um, a lot of the vendors are trying to tailor for the mass market or trying to tailor for the mass consumer. And I expect the trend to continue that, uh, plat that companies are trying to be platforms rather than doing one thing, which is like a database or a data warehouse. Now yeah. they're trying to become a platform. And I think there are many examples for that in the market. Now I'm with you. I think consolidation is, is going to be key because it's just the landscape is crazy. It's, did you see the, the mad landscape? It was just for 2023. It was... I think there's 500, 600 vendors on there, all providing different services. So I'm with you, but we'll we'll take a look in a year's time, two years' time, back at ourselves and, and see how successful the prediction was. Um, that's all we have time for, uh, unfortunately, today. Thank you very much, Ibrahim, for your, your time and your rich insights. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed today. And likewise, thanks a lot for your time. Perfect. And, and to the listeners, um, yeah, thank you for tuning in. Drop any questions or feedback in the comment section and, yeah, we'll get back to those. And please do like and share um, so we can reach as much as possible and also follow so you don't miss any future episodes. But it's bye from us. Thanks once again, Ibrahim. Thanks a lot. Ciao for now. Ciao, ciao.